Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today I have a special guest. His name is Sam Russ. Thanks for being on the show again, Sam. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Whitney. Thanks for having me. No, I'm honored to have you back on the show. And as a listener, if you haven't heard of Sam before, you should have. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to show WS196. Came out May the 5th of last year. Uh, and Sam and I discussed numerous things then. But today, you know, I, up to this point, Sam and I is, is my business partner, if you didn't know, and we are partnered on a few deals now and, and excited about just the future of our business and what's happened uh, and just how we've grown since partnering. Very briefly about Sam, 450 units, $60 million uh, assets under management and growing, right, Sam? That's right. That's right. Ever upward. Yeah. Why don't you give the listeners just a couple minutes of your background, you know, and, and then let's dive into a recent deal that we closed and we're, we're going to go in depth on a property, a specific property. Awesome. Yeah. I live here in Denver, Colorado. So I'm a product of the Rocky Mountains. I, I don't want to go any further east. I always need a mountain on a horizon. So I know how to orient myself against a compass, but uh, I'm married. I've got four wonderful daughters and a, a boy on the way. So we're excited to get some diversity at the Rust family home. Uh, I grew up in Idaho, just outside of Boise on a family farm there. Graduated college from Thomas Edison State University back in 2009 with a degree in business. From there, went to work for a family business that focuses on B2B sales in the industrial automation realm. So I held many roles in that organization, most recently as business development and a, a product specialist. Got into real estate back in 2017, wanting to grow some capital that I had. And after doing a lot of different research, landed on syndication as the niche that really spoke to me and uh, felt like fit my gifts and my abilities. Syndicated my first deal in 2018. Met you at uh, Best Ever Conference 2019. And together we closed a deal, a 180 unit deal in 2019. And then we just closed Stratus, the deal that we're going to talk about today in March of 2020. So it's been a real fun journey along the way. I've left my full-time position at the family business and then focused full-time on what we're doing here at LifeBridge Capital. Wow. Well, Thank you again, Sam. And I'm thankful that you're going to start getting some blue in the house <laughs> in the near future. I am too. I am too. The girls are always good for a wrestling match or uh, playing Frisbee or throwing a ball around. But I think we're all excited to add a little bit more diversity to the mix. Uh, there's some amazing young ladies. Uh, it's been great to get to know them as well over the last year and a half or so. But Sam, I'd love for us to just express uh, to the listeners a little bit about this property that we just closed on and, you know, just go back to even, you know, finding that opportunity. I get the question often, you know, about, you know, finding this deal, how we're finding properties and things like that. I'd love for you to elaborate a little on Stratus, even, you know, back to when it was first presented to us and us walk through that process a little bit. Yeah, I personally, as I've grown in my knowledge in the syndication business, I've really benefited from other people sharing their stories and, and how they found deals, how they underwrote them. You know, 
a lot of times we think that this is a fast-moving industry and that, man, you just decide to syndicate and four months later you found a property. And as you and I both know and, and many of our listeners know, it's just not the case. So I love many aspects of this story and I'm excited to dive into more detail here. It really starts with our property we closed on in 2019, Lincoln Springs. On that deal, we had a buy-side broker that had brought us the deal, but there was a sell-side broker that had the listing. And we had a great transaction on Lincoln Springs. We were an easy buyer to work with. Uh, we accommodated, there was even a fire on the property a couple of days before closing. And we were able to work through that. And, and generally the listing broker appreciated working with us. And we had done the financing with the listing broker as well. They have a debt arm. And so we went that direction. Right after we closed Lincoln Springs, which is in South Colorado Springs, he uh, saw the broker brought us Stratus, which is a property built the exact same year as Lincoln Springs, about a mile away in the very same submarket, great unit mix, and gave us the financials, wanted us to underwrite and put a bid in on that property. So this would have been in June of 2019. So you can already see that we're, it was a nine-month process from when we first saw the property to when we closed in March. But a couple of things that stood out to both you and I at the beginning of this process. One, great unit mix, 90% two and three bedrooms, which is highly desirable here in Colorado Springs. Good vintage for us. It was a property we had some familiarity with. And then our property management team that was on the ground, their headquarters is literally 200 yards away from this property. Uh, and they had managed this property back in the late 2000s. So they had some good history on site. We took the financial data, we did it, our underwriting, we went and toured the property, took our property management team in with us, we're able to look at some of their old records and figure out some of the things that we felt we would need to address. There was some deferred maintenance on the property related to a couple of the property systems. There's some foundation work that needed to be done and some sewer work that needed to be done. And we, we were aware of those things going into the initial round of bidding. We completed our underwriting in July and ended up assigning, you know, uh, in our estimation that the property was worth somewhere between 28 and 28 and a half million, we'd be willing to pay up to 28 and a half for it, taking into account market factors, you know, cap rates, all of that good stuff, but also recognizing that there was some deferred maintenance that needed to be done. And at the time, the property had great occupancy. It was 95%, you know, delinquency was relatively low. It seemed like it was being relatively well run, Although there was a couple of warning flags in the T12 about nine months prior, so in late 2018 that would have been, it looked like they had struggled with some delinquency. So we wanted to keep an eye on that as we were going through the process. Anyways, to sum up a lot of details, I went to the broker, told him, hey, here's where we're at. And he told me that they already had several LOIs, this was before their call for offers, at $29 million or above. And he said, I don't think you can remain in the bidding if you don't get to at least $29 million. And you and I were really gung-ho and anxious to get that next deal going, but we did not want to sacrifice on our underwriting. Um, and I think that as tough as it was, it seemed like such a great fit for us on many different levels. Uh, we had to pass on it. I just told him, you know, at this point, I can't get above 28 and a half. I don't feel comfortable underwriting to that. You know, here's why we wrote up a couple of page summary on why we were at 28 and a half and hoping that would earn us some goodwill. But ultimately, after trading some figures and going through all the, the due diligence that we had, we just decided to not submit an LOI. We felt like it would hurt us to submit an LOI that was you know, potentially a million dollars under 
what our competition was at. So the whisper price on it was 31 million. You know, it just seemed like it was going to get into a bidding frenzy and we didn't want to participate at that level. We wanted to stay true to our foundation. But that's not easy, Sam, to walk away, right? I mean, we wanted to put an offer in on it. We wanted to do another deal. And I think a lot of the listeners are in the same boat. Maybe they haven't even got their first deal done yet, or maybe they've done one and you're itching to get to another deal. Everybody is, right? Where's the next deal? Where's the next deal? And so it's hard to have the patience, right? To say, okay, this is what we know it is worth and we're going to walk away ultimately. That's so true. It's, you know, and, and still being on the front end of our real estate careers, you know, that I think that need for discipline, it's harder. It's harder to be disciplined when you're on the front side, but it's all the more necessary because there's so many unknowns that can trip you up. You've already established with your property management team that this is an acceptable amount to pay. And anything beyond that, even if you can convince yourself that it's just how the market is rising or, or this, that, and the other, it just is not worth compromising to a significant degree on your underwriting. And that was difficult because we had invested a lot of time, a lot of effort into this project, and there wasn't a lot else trading. Uh, in Colorado Springs, the market that we focused on to date, properties over 100 doors, there's between 10 and 13 transactions a year on average with a high of 18 transactions in 2019, I believe. So there's just not that many available properties. And when you find one that checks a lot of the boxes, the temptation is to, to just pay whatever you need to get it done. But the math is the math. And we just couldn't justify going out to our investors and trying to pitch a project that had all the margin for error sucked out of it. Something I would like to highlight as well and give you some credit here. Like you sent me the email when we were talking about why we weren't interested in Stratus at that time and the email that you sent to the broker. But I just thought it was extremely professional. I wish I'd brought it up before the interview. I didn't think of it, but but I just thought you did an amazing job of representing to the broker why we're not interested in a very professional manner you know, not bashing the property or them in any way, but here's evidence of why we're, we're not interested. And I, I ultimately, it just shows how important the relationship is and that we can be honest, but still be very professional and ultimately still win the deal. Yeah. We want to make sure that we're operating in integrity. And that does mean speaking the truth. I and mean, that doesn't always go over well, but you don't have to speak the truth in the most blunt way possible and sometimes couching it well and just being professional is really helpful. And the broker definitely appreciated that. He said, you know, if something happens, we'll circle back around. Well, they had the call for offers in August. They went through their best and final. And I got wind that by the end of August, they had gone under contract for almost 31 million, which was obviously quite a bit higher. I frankly couldn't understand how the project was worth that much, particularly with the level of deferred maintenance that had yet to be done. And ultimately, it was proven right by the marketplace. During their due diligence, the first buyer found some things they didn't like. One of the horror stories that they hear from time to time, the model unit had a sewage issue the day that they came out to do their in-person inspections, and they had the entire capital council out. And so they ended up pulling the deal right before their money went hard at the end of September. And then all that work that we had put into our broker relationship and into underwriting the property really came to play. And part of that is just understanding broker motivations. They don't get paid until the property closes. And every time a property falls out of contract, one, it's a big headache for the broker just because they'd done all this work to get the transaction lined up. They'd found the buyer. But it also, it adds many, many, many hours to that transaction for the broker. I mean, it's hours that they're not getting paid. They're, in a sense, losing money the more time they spend on this. And so 
they were at a position where they were looking for certainty of close. They called us back up in early October and told us that we were the only group they were shopping it to. I'm not sure if that's true or not. We didn't act as if we were the only ones bidding on it, but our uh, pre-existing relationship and the fact that we had transacted before, we had kept our word, we had worked through some difficulties on our prior transaction, really stood in our favor. And so we went back to the drawing board. They knew where we stood. They communicated to their client ahead of time that we were at best going to give them 28 and a half million. Well, we got updated financials and they were not getting 28 and a half million. Performance had deteriorated over the summer. The seller clearly had assumed that they were going to sell and occupancy was below 90%, which took us out of running for agency debt, which obviously was going to increase our costs of debt and just make the process a little bit more difficult. And then delinquency had taken a turn for the worse. We were pretty certain that these issues could all be turned around with good management. Um, The current ownership group had their own management arm and they were in the process of liquidating all their assets in the Colorado region. So we felt like there was a good story there that was not just something we could sell to investors, but was very believable. We're operating a property right around the corner, same vintage, similar unit types, and we were getting rents higher and our delinquency was 10%, 5% of what this property was. But it would just, it'd be a matter of could we negotiate the upfront costs? And so I'm sure you remember Whitney, but we went back and forth for, ah man, almost eight weeks, October and November, trading numbers going back and forth. We originally offered them 27 and a half. And and there was a lot of Zoom calls. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I remember (laughs) agonizing and reaching out to a couple of people that we both know and just getting input on this situation. Um, And we ultimately, we wanted to land this at a a sub 28 million number, but to get control of the deal, which we felt like was vital at that point in time, they stood firm at 28 million. And so we went under contract the first week of December at 28 million and immediately started into our due diligence period, which involves all the typical stuff, getting underneath, doing all your inspections, your sewer line inspections, your unit walks. We had you come out. We had a couple other partners come out and do those unit walks with us, help us with some of that due diligence along the way. And yeah, I mean, really got off and running. But I think that was a pivotal point for you and I was deciding to come up basically 300,000 there at the very end. I just always remember one of the gentlemen that we spoke with, he's like, does the deal work at 27.7, which is where we were at? And we're like, yeah, it works. And we kind of outlined, you know, we were looking for a a 17 plus IRR, 8% cash on cash plus, you know, so some of the the typical figures that you'll see in a value add syndication. He's like, well, if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't let 300,000 stand in the way. And now obviously you can take that wisdom too far. You can always say, well, we're only 300,000 away. But I, I think there is something to that, that when you get so close to the finish line, and if it really is, I mean, we're talking, you know, less than well, roughly 1%, a little bit less than 1% of the overall purchase price, that to gain control of the deal, to get to the due diligence phase, sometimes it may be worth paying just a little bit more than you want to, to gain control of the deal. That was one of my big takeaways personally from this whole experience is learning how the industry negotiates, when you can really apply pressure to the buyer or the seller, and when you have to recognize that maybe you don't have the strong hand and act accordingly. Hmm. You know, Sam, I get asked all the time, and and I know all the listeners that are operators get asked too, well, how are you conservative? 
You know, I'd love to, you know, hear your take and, and just talking about this deal specifically, how we are conservative. And because I, I, we talk about this to people all the time and I hear it from everybody's going to tell you they're conservative. Right. And then especially in these times, the way the, the market is right now and things that are happening in our country, we're going to see we may see pretty soon who is, who is actually conservative and who is not. But, you know, tell us some measures that we take to be conservative and we're conservative in our underwriting on this deal. Yeah, I think the first thing that we did and probably the most important is we had a significant reserve budget. This was a project that had some hair on it. It does have some major sewer line issues and some minor structural work that needs to be done. We went with a bridge loan and that wrapped all of our renovation costs into the loan, but you still have to float those costs. We still wanted to be able to pay out our investor preferred returns, and we did not want to get close to undercapitalizing on the deal. That's the, really the number one reason that syndications fail is that you're undercapitalized. You're not equipped to handle an unforeseen shock like a coronavirus or you know, some of these other things that have happened on 9-11. And so we came in with uh, roughly two and a half years of investor payouts in cash, liquid, in an operating account. And that's how we like to think about our expenses. You know, it equates to roughly a year and a couple of months of debt service. So we've got a very, very healthy emergency fund. Honestly, I anticipate being much higher than we need, but that's the point. You don't want it to be exactly what you need. You want it to be more than you need because you may need more than you think to overuse the word a little bit. But that's one way that we're conservative. You know, another way we were surveying some of our biggest competitors in the area that were also looking to acquire properties and looking at their expense assumption, expense growth assumptions and rent growth assumptions. Then we were assuming 25% higher expense growth. And we were actually assuming nearly 35% lower rent growth than some of our competitors. Just trying to be as close to, but the market, you know, there's a fine line between being too conservative and underwriting yourself out of deals and yet still being conservative. But we felt like we were able to strike that balance here at Stratus. And then obviously your revision cap rate is really important and making sure that even though cap rates had compressed pretty significantly over the last 10 years or even two years, that we're baking in a significant amount of cap rate expansion to accommodate for environments such as we find ourselves in today. Nice. So, you know, moving forward with Stratus, you know, any details you want to share before we have to wrap up? Yeah, we are excited to take possession. Obviously, the environment is a little bit different than we banked on. Another way that we've been conservative is we had 30% vacancy in year one with the level of delinquency that we had, the level of vacancy upon takeover. You know, we felt like we had to account for that. And so that's baked into our underwriting. We plan to do much better than that, but we have margin for error there. And so we're focused on really changing some of the exterior things on the property. You know, just bringing a pride of community, a sense of community into that apartment complex and really revitalizing a small corner of Colorado Springs. So we've got a great team identified that's hit the ground running. We're already knocking stuff off of our required repair list. And then we're lining up a bunch of contractors for work to be done this spring and into the summer and hopefully take advantage of some of this coronavirus scare and be able to get the work done for less than we had originally budgeted. I meant to highlight earlier too, just the relationship that you've built really and that we have now with uh, not only the broker, but also the management company. 
uh, you know, and just how important that relationship is and even how they managed this property years ago at one time and just the insight that they've provided, but just by having that relationship. Yeah. At LifeBridge Capital, we firmly believe in third-party property management. And part of that belief is informed by our experience with Dunmire Property Management. We've just been thrilled with them and, and our partnership with Crystal and the team that she's assembled. They've been in the market. I try not to bring this up too much to Crystal, but they've been doing this longer than I've been alive, which is pretty amazing <laughs> and gives them just a wealth of experience to draw on. I mean, obviously, particularly to Stratus, they had been on this property that helped us be conservative in our underwriting the first time around and account for the deferred maintenance that need to be done. And then, you know, going forward, they control a large share of the market down there and they're open to trying new ideas. You know, we're trying innovative strategies for driving more traffic to our properties, whether it's new marketing campaigns or different amenities that we're trying to uh, install to uh, draw a more tech savvy, younger generation to our properties. And they've been really receptive and been fantastic in their execution. What about something you learned through this process that you didn't know before Stratus, this specific deal? I think kind of finishing the story on the negotiation process, just learning more about how that works. The same gentleman that gave us the advice to bump up the 300 said, you know, when you go through your due diligence, you're probably going to find stuff that they didn't tell you up front. And the seller is going to expect that you're going to come back. And I think you know, if you listen to podcasts um, of people in the syndication space, a lot of our colleagues that I really respect, something that's heavily emphasized is avoiding retrades. You don't want to retrade. You hear that constantly. You don't want to retrade. Your reputation is everything. And, and I do agree with that. But there comes a point where, frankly, they just did not tell you or they represented that things were in a certain condition and you get in and you find that they were not. And so, this gentleman at the same time telling us, you know, go up the 300,000. He said, you're going to have an opportunity to renegotiate and make sure that you take advantage of that. And, and so we did. We went in and we found that some things were not as they had represented and we were able to negotiate a $400,000 deduct, which got us to our final sales price at just a little over 27 and a half million. So, you know, we came out right where we wanted to be in the end. And I think, you know, obviously still many things to learn in this business. I just love getting into the nitty gritty, but that was probably my biggest takeaway from Stratus is just recognizing when sellers are okay to negotiate and when they just want to strike a deal and how to take advantage of those moments. I know personally, I just love going through the process each time. I know we improve and we learn so much every time. I know this time, it just I have an amazing assistant who has helped so much and she Going through this process, you know, every time I could think of a way for us to improve, I would let her know and we would communicate with her and she would document these things. So, you know, I look forward to having this meeting that you and I briefly discussed in her, but, you know, just like a post-close meeting and ways to improve every time we do a deal. But, you know, one thing we implemented this time was a portal as well, you know, and I've learned a lot about that process and, and how to use the portal and it's simplified the documents that investors have to sign and it just gives them a secure place to sign documents and watch their investment grow. But just I uh, look forward to just improving and automating some of this uh, every time we do it. Yeah, I agree. As we're growing, we're finding more and more that systems are how we're going to facilitate that growth. We need to make sure that we're doing every little detail correctly the first time. And systems are the best way to do that. I was excited to see the growth in that aspect of our business as we went through Stratus and really excited to put what we learned into action on the next transaction. Hmm. All right, Sam. Great show. Appreciate you elaborating on Stratus. I know a lot of people ask about deals that we're doing. And so I'm just grateful to be able to put out what we're up to as well on the show and have you elaborate on that. Tell the listeners how you like to give back. 
Yeah, I'm, we're very involved in our local church. And that's a, a great way for us to to honor the Lord and what he's given us. And so we're very involved there. And then, yeah, our family also, you know, we've got a bunch of young daughters and trying to raise them well. I think that, you know, often that may seem selfish, but I think the best thing we can do is pass on our values and what we've been taught to the next generation. And so my wife and I take that very, very seriously. And how can listeners get in touch with you or learn more about you? You can reach out to me at uh, sam at lifebridgecapital.com or go to lifebridgecapital.com. All my contact information is there. I'm active on LinkedIn or Bigger Pockets as well. So you can hit me up a variety of different avenues. Awesome. That's a wrap. Thank you, man. Yeah, that was fun. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.